They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. As usual, uh, let's thank Jake for the lovely intro. Did a great job as as, yep. as always. Always followed. Jake retreats from his instruments, starts packing himself into the full body mold uh, that we keep him in in between episodes. Good job, Jake. We'll get your food and water tube in there as soon as we're done here. Yep. Uh, and also, Elliot, I wanted to share this during the bantering section instead of before... Uh, we started recording, we've hit over 150 listens for on the Lifetime. Wow, for which episode? <laughs> for for none of them. For all of them combined, 150. Oh, darn. Yeah, yeah, and there's been some discussion about whether or not maybe Alexander DeCrew, our <laughs> Belgian listener, is not who he says he is and may in fact be a bot. I, so. I mean, I don't want to count it out. I'm just saying I have yet to receive any messages on Instagram in Belgianese. So, okay. Well, Belgian listener, if you could confirm your existence as a free thinking, independent human being by just shooting Nathan a quick message in Belgianese on Instagram, we'd really appreciate it. We would really appreciate that. But we appreciate all of our listeners. If you were one of those 150, then give yourself a nice pat on the back. Maybe get some pizza for tonight just to celebrate being a part of this wonderful enterprise. But know that it would be better if you were built. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. So um, you should you should do the first intro and say what we're doing. Okay. We're talking about The Dark Knight, which is the second installment of Dark Knight trilogy, trilogy of films, Batman movies directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, the Dark Knight is widely considered to be the best of the bunch, often considered to be one of, if not the best comic book movies of all time. And it netted the, the movie has eight Oscar nominations. One of them it won for best sound editing. The other was uh, Best Supporting Actor for Heath Ledger's performance as Joker, which is probably the most talked about aspect of this movie. And I'm sure we'll talk about uh, Joker extensively in this reflection. Yeah. Well, and I think another thing that's important to know before we start talking about just the movie is just how influential and important the movie is in a lot of ways, just showing that comic book movies could achieve both commercial and critical acclaim that a lot of the superhero movies before this like spider-man x-men even the original superman and batman movies were commercially successful and beloved by audiences but critics were less enamored with any of them i see very few reviews of new york times guys saying oh yeah spider-man won such a pivotal touchstone of cinema but the Dark Knight is seen in that way. It's the movie that sort of got the Oscars to increase the number of nominations after it was not nominated and lost to Slumdog Millionaire. Get that. Isn't that fantastic? Heck yeah. Love that movie. <laughs> but so it's a really important movie and I'm really excited to talk about it. I think a lot of people consider it Nolan's best I don't but I do think it's up there and Nolan is maybe my favorite director so pretty excited about that yeah so I I can't speak for you obviously but this is a movie that's very important to me as uh as like a, a consumer of movies because I watched this for the first time must have been when I was in middle school I think when I was in seventh grade and I liked it a lot, but I found it too intense 
uh, and a little too scary at times. I'm really don't like scary things at all. But this movie, sort of as I rewatched it and as I looked deeper into it uh, and its sort of themes, I think that this movie, along with No Country for Old Men, kind of lifted my gaze, I guess, mm -hmm. <laughs> sounding like a, like this movie was the catalyst for me joining a cult. It lifted my gaze to higher things on the on the higher planes of cinema. Is sure. What I'm saying. Yeah. Well, like I said last week with Parasite, right, everyone or I think most people who would consider themselves like a cinephile or even just general audiences, a lot of people have that movie where they're like, wow, this is about something a lot more than just shoot the bad guy or blow up the thingy. And I definitely agree with you. I think Dark Knight was that movie for me that we watched it a while, not a I think a while after it came out, I want to say we rented all three from. Uh, we did. Library. We watched the whole trilogy, uh, having checked them out from the library. And mom was mom was coaching us about what to, what to watch and what not to watch. You know, uh, this this part's a little scary. You might not want to watch. You know, when when he when Two Face looks over into the camera, it's it's pretty pretty scary it's pretty it's pretty graphic you might not want to watch and that that also was sort of a a defining moment for me because i was like well, dang if he's gonna be a major part of the rest of the movie i can't just look away every time he's on screen i have to watch so I, like force myself you know i i got the, the contraption from the clockwork orange and screwed my eyes open forced myself to to look at it and it wasn't Wow, it sounds like watching this movie for the first time was a real trial for you. <laughs> I don't know, sort of. But I definitely think, yeah, this movie, along with, I guess, La La Land, was probably one of those movies that I just kept revisiting and I kept going, man, there's, there's a lot here. Yeah, I mean, it is a lot like my experience of No Country for Old Men, which, for the record, is my favorite movie ever in that I watched it the first time and I found it entertaining and I found it a good movie to watch. But the more I watched it, uh, and of course, the more of these types of movies that I consumed, the more I was able to recognize its more sophisticated, uh, you know, mature thematic elements. Sure. Yeah. So I guess let's just dive in. What what do you think makes this movie good? Why do you think, if you could summarize it, not in a short amount of time, but in a little amount of time, what do you think attracts you to this movie or keeps you coming back to this movie? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things. So, yes, Joker is absolutely perfect in this movie. Like, I have no notes about Joker. I think I wrote in the description that he represents such a perfect marriage of design, performance, and writing mm. that all of those things are perfectly calibrated. I mean, he's he's dirty and his outfit is complete chaos and his makeup, it's not really like the way he looks in the comics. He looks more, I mean, in the comics, he doesn't, wear makeup it's his skin is just bleached white but the makeup is all cracked and he's got of course those gnarly scars on the sides of his mouth and the blood red paint around his mouth to make it look like he's smiling uh and his eyes are heavily shaded in so it looks sort of skull like i mean he looks creepy and awesome <laughs> and you know i think on the on the basis level so i uh, i won't talk about this movie's themes yet but on the basis level i do think that the villain makes this movie because he just works so well to create such a satisfying arc for batman you know yeah like i this movie has one of my all-time favorite edits when after rachel dies and batman's all depressed 
uh, and the screen is tinted blue, of course, <laughs> and he's sitting sitting in a chair uh, and Alfred is talking to him and he brings up the story that he told about looking for this similarly, this thief uh, in Burma who had a similar ideology of just doing bad things for fun. And he asks, like, how did you stop him? And he says, we burn the forest down. And then it just hard cuts almost before he's even done saying the line. It hard cuts to Harvey Dent, whose arc sort of mirrors is like a negative image of Batman's in that he sees how far you have to go to truly destroy this the type of evil that Joker represents. And it breaks it like he he can't he doesn't think that he can he can pay that that cost. And whereas Batman, you know, he is almost broken, but he he steps up to it and he stands by his principles. And I think it's it's just perfect. Yeah, I would echo just how fantastic. I don't want to spend a huge time talking about it because, I mean, what can you say about Keith Ledger that hasn't already been said by everyone who's watched the movie? But it is genuinely it's one of my favorite performances of all time. It's. I mean, besides maybe Anthony Hopkins in The Father, James Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life, and Brie Larson in Room, uh, I'd say those are the only performances that I consider similar, just in terms of every time that character is on screen, it's just captivating. And all you can do is watch it. And Heath Ledger was a really outside-the-box pick, I think, for this. A lot of his previous roles were in right, Brokeback Mountain, 10 Things I Hate About You, something like that. It was like love stories. It was romance movies. And so he was... He was a heartthrob. Yeah, he was not the pick that you would have thought of in the same way that, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is basically just doing another Joaquin Phoenix role. And he plays a lot of weird loners. So him playing Joker wasn't that outside the box. Jack Nicholson, that's pretty normal. But Jared Leto is basically the Joker in real life. (laughs) (laughs) But Keith Ledger was a weird pick and it really paid off, obviously. It was a fantastic performance. But I would also echo just how fantastic the ideas and themes of this movie are. Just these ideas of what does it take to really defeat something? And is that worth it? Can we do that thing? And I think it's crucial, we can talk about it more when we talk about kind of negative reactions to the movie, but I think it's crucial to note that I don't think the movie is saying everything Batman does is necessarily good. I think it's wrong to go into the movie and assume that everything Batman does was, yeah, the right thing, as evidenced by the fact that he doesn't get, right, his happy ending, and then Dark Knight Rises happens and clearly shows that... They did not maybe do the right thing at the end of this movie. But I think it's fantastic for that reason. And just exemplifies one of the things that makes Nolan's movie so fantastic for me is taking really amazing, thoughtful ideas and bringing them to a general audience in a way that anyone who watches it, kind of like when we talked about 12 Angry Men, anyone who watches it can have an opinion, can think about it, and can kind of grasp what they're playing with. And I think that's, I mean, I mean, not many directors can do that. Not many movies can do that. So I have a humongous amount of respect for the movie for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the types of driving home conversations that this movie creates, it's not like your usual discussions of the quality of the movie. It's like actual discussions about what do you think what do you think Batman should have done? You know, should he have just killed Joker? Was was Joker right? You know, it's it it's the best kind of question that a movie can ask, the kind that doesn't have an obvious answer, but that it doesn't seem like the movie is just ducking the question, you know? Like it's willing to ask the question and look at the consequences of the decision that its characters ultimately make 
without necessarily saying this was the right decision. Yeah. I'd say one other thing, just when we're talking about things that are good about this movie that I really appreciate is I really, it's funny. Like it's not hilarious and it's not like wall to wall jokes, but right. The stuff with Bruce Wayne, when he drives in front of the car to save the guy who's going to blackmail him or whatever, I find that stuff really funny. A lot of the scenes with Lucius, I find really funny. He gives him the sonar thing and he's like, like a, He's like, yeah, like a dolphin. Exactly. Like a submarine. Like a submarine. Okay, that's what it is. But I I just really appreciate those, especially not to jog on Marvel here, but I do think it is, right, appropriate moments of levity compared to maybe Marvel having so many jokes in... So I just really appreciate that every time I watch the movie. It's, he knows when to put in humor... And when to, right, not put in humor. Yeah. So anyone who knows me, which is not very many people, but <clears throat> will know that I am not really big on superheroes. Uh, like I, I sort of used to be when I was in middle school slash high school. But uh, in the years since, I've very much fallen off of the Marvel train. Uh, I've stopped going to see them pretty much all together and include and DC movies. I've really lost interest in as well because they all feel very homogenous, very safe, very cookie cutter. They're not very interesting. They don't say interesting things or do interesting, make interesting moves in either the narrative sense or just the filmmaking sense of the way that it's filmed or staged or the action is filmed. I've always liked the character of Batman and I still like the character of Batman again, probably not as much as I used to, but I've always liked his character. And I've always thought that Joker was a great villain and the perfect, the perfect Yang to his ying. I'm not sure if that's the right uh, configuration. I, I can't remember which one is good and which one is bad in the yin yang, but I think that they're, they're, their dynamic is really good, really interesting. And this movie captures it really well. And I'm not the type of person who, when a story is being adapted for a film, not the type of person who demands total adherence to the letter, the very letter of the source material. You know, I've never been upset about actors who don't really look like their comic book or uh, just book counterpart. And I've never really been upset when people take creative liberties with source materials, as long as it feels like it's being done in good faith to make, uh, to make a better movie. But I do think that Joker is probably an exception to that. Like I do have a very specific vision of what Joker, who Joker is and how he should act. And I think that this movie absolutely nails him. And one of the crucial things, and the reason I'm going on this extremely long-winded tangent is because you said it was funny. And I think, I honestly think that one of the key things that you have to get right when you're uh, writing Joker is he has to be funny. Like he has to make jokes. He, yeah. And his yeah. style of humor is sarcastic and and legitimately funny. Like one of the things that I didn't love about the Joker movie is that in that movie, Joker was, I mean, it's a literal plot point. He was not very funny. But in this movie, you know, when uh, the one gangster says, uh, you think you could steal from us and just walk away? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's good. That He's legitimately funny. And I think that it's important for the character because it creates such an exciting juxtaposition between these moments where when you laugh at some at a joke somebody makes, that's usually a sign of fondness for that person. And sure. so it creates this interesting juxtaposition of appreciating this aspect of this person who's like totally evil. Yeah. Well, and I always love, I mean, the magic trick bit is I love that joke 
I'm going to see a magic trick. That's a classic. <laughs> and I would also say, I think this is the movie that really got me to like fall in love with the character of Batman. I mean, he's not my favorite superhero, but he's up there. And a big reason is just this movie's depiction. I mean, obviously Joker is fantastic, but this movie's depiction of Batman as just this constantly having to do the right thing to his own detriment and constantly trying to do the right thing to even in some cases like others detriment right and just how he's he always has this struggle between how much good he wants to do and how much of Bruce Wayne he can let himself be and that especially with the ending of this movie where he's like I'll like I'll take the blame for all of this stuff, I'll be the fall guy because that's what Batman is made to do. He's made to be almost like a martyr figure because, right, Batman wants to, one of my favorite versions of this is there's a book where Batman's kind of explaining why he does it. And he's like, when I was a kid, there was no Batman in Crime Alley to save my parents. And so now I have to be Batman for everyone. And so just this ending of, all take the blame for all this stuff because we need a white knight. We need someone who people can believe in, and that's not me. I'm the guy who comes out of the shadows and beats the stuffing out of some guys and then goes back. I can't, right? I can't save the whole world in the same way. And I just, I right. find that very interesting and I find it incredibly compelling still to this day. Yeah. That's what makes, I mean, that's what makes him such a tragic <clears throat> and, like you said, compelling character. Like, I, I watched an interview with Kevin Conroy, who's famous for voicing Batman in a lot of, uh, a lot of things, a lot of video games and uh, animated movies, and, of course, the animated TV show. And he said that what attracted him, because he was initially a theater actor, who mainly did Hamlet. And he said that what initially attracted him to the character was this very Shakespearean, very human struggle that exists at the core of his character. The, the struggle between doing what's right and doing what's kind of expedient. Yeah. Which is, I, I think, at the core of this movie's themes. And this movie asks what I think is one of the most important and difficult questions in philosophy, uh, which is quite a statement, but I'll <laughs> stick with it. And that is what really divides good from evil and how important is that line? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Joker is trying, what Joker is trying to do is he's trying to make Batman compromise his ideals to do something that is ostensibly that there's no real, there's no obvious reason why it is not completely smart and logical and ethical to just kill Joker. Yeah. Because Joker's a bad person. He's not contributing anything to society, but Batman has this principle that he won't kill people. It's really the principle of believing that everyone can be redeemed. And standing by that means letting people die. And so it sort of sets up a kind of conflict between deontologist and consequentialist ethics. And I'm not gonna get too technical here i saw you raise your eyebrows <laughs> basically deontology in ethics states that virtue comes from following rules that cannot under any circumstance be broken that there is no it doesn't matter what the situation there are rules that are that constitute what is right and you can't break them without being wrong without doing the wrong thing Whereas mm. consequentialism holds that if you ignore the consequences of your actions, then you really can't claim to be an ethical person when the consequences of your actions are just misery and suffering. And it is, it's a fascinating idea and it's a fascinating topic. And I think that it's communicated really well here in this movie. 
Yeah. Well, especially if you think about, right, that Batman in some ways you could argue does bad things in service of the virtue, right? I mean, he sets up the whole sonar thing and Lucia says, he's like, this is wrong. Like, this is a gross overstep in every conceivable way. And Batman's like, Mm -hmm. we have, like, I have to stop him and we have no other way. But I also love how the movie is very affirming in its stance on humanity that Joker, right, says all these things that as a teenager, I remember listening to his speech he gives to Harvey and I, like some edgy, you know, person. I was like, dude, he's true. It's all part of the system. And like, you got to throw away plans and blah, blah, blah. And then right after that, we see, right, the citizens of Gotham, both the criminals and the regular citizens do the right thing. They don't hold a pin. So I think it's a very affirming movie that Batman's faith in the general goodness of humanity and in the fact that most people when really pressed up against the wall will do the right thing as opposed to what Joker believes that as soon as they're shown kind of an easy way out that's maybe wrong they'll take that wrong way and Mm -hmm. I've always really loved that scene of just the people and just all the conversations that scene can raise in terms of what do we think it says about people, right? That the inmates just throw it over the side and the regular citizens get, I'd say, closer than him, than the criminals do to actually pulling the pin and doing the thing. I think it's just another fantastic setup in terms of the script. It's fantastically done. The actors do a great job. And it raises all of these interesting questions like so much of the rest of the movie does. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I, I love that. I think that this, this climax on the ferry is absolutely perfect for this movie and the type of story that it's telling because, you know, it's basically asking like, is Joker wrong because of what he's doing or the people he's doing it to? Because obviously... It seems like the maybe not the right, but the obvious answer is that these people on the ferries, the innocent people, their lives are somehow are worth more in some philosophical or even maybe economical sense than these people on the ferries. But Batman's whole rule is his one rule of not killing people is really about affirming that each life has value that each life has some kind of worth and that when each life is lost something worthwhile is lost and and i think that it is a really important problem to grapple with because i don't want to get too into like (laughs) how i've diagnosed the the ills of society but i do think there's a lot of people in how they conduct themselves when they're dealing with people who they would describe the enemy, maybe politically or ideologically or what have you, who act very much like the people that they're condemning. And I think that it goes back to, it goes back to the question of why have you aligned yourself against this person? Is it because of what they're doing or who they're doing it to. And I think I'm sort of, I'm definitely revealing which side of the fence that I, that I fall on in that question, because I don't think that people realize the implications of saying that it's just wrong because of who they're doing it to. And the act itself has no inherent uh, positive or negative ethical implications that it's just an act. It's just a tool that you can use one way or another. Sure. All right. Well, before I, I think it's a testament to the movie that we can talk this long about philosophical things and all that, but I'd like to maybe bring it back to our discussion of the movie and talking about just firstly, before I go into this thought, I just want to say the music in this is fantastic. Hans Zimmer, 
Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Elliot's making faces because he loves his music <coughs> too, but he brings his A game. I think it's, I mean, he wasn't even nominated for best uh, score here, which is insane to me. And every other technical aspect of the movie is very good. Nolan finally, after Batman Begins, figures out how to shoot a fight scene with Batman because the ones in Batman Begins are a mess. But I would also say, just bring up this, a lot of people criticize the movie, and I think somewhat justifiably, that this plot is riddled with plot holes. I mean, there is a hundred gajillion ways you can blow this story to pieces if you start nitpicking. I mean, why not just blame Joker for the people Harvey killed? Why, why do we even need to bring Harvey into it? Just say Joker killed him and Joker killed some other people. How does Joker accomplish everything he accomplishes throughout the movie if he's using a bunch of mental patients? You know, you can blow so many holes in the movie. And I think it's a testament to the film that it still is beloved. I always say this when I'm talking about this movie. Hitchcock had a phrase called icebox logic. Now we would call it refrigerator logic. But he said, any movie that's good enough to make you only realize its flaws when you get home and open the refrigerator means those weren't flaws. That he's like, if I can trick you for the whole time the movie is working, then I don't care if you go home and realize, right, I was making up some nonsense there. Because he's like, the point of the movie, it's a is it's a movie. And so as long as in the movie, you don't realize these things, it's fine. And I watched the movie three or four times before I finally saw someone say like, how in the, how on earth does any of this work? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. But I still watch the movie and I still, every time I, I'm sucked into the film, I'm sucked into the story. I, I still think it's amazing. Yeah, so just briefly touching on what you said about the music, there's one particular piece of music that I want to call out as being absolutely perfect musical storytelling. And that's when the guy on the civilian ferry is about to blow them up, about to blow the criminals up. And the music is just this shrieking, piercing version of Joker's theme, the constantly rising note mm -hmm. that's played on a, I believe it's played on the guitar. It might be an electric cello. I'm not 100% sure. But it's it's played on that instrument. But in this version, it's like a ton of instruments, like a full orchestra of just constantly raising notes. And the instant that he makes the right choice and puts the detonator back, Batman's theme starts playing. This more somber, sort of hopeful music comes in. And Joker's theme doesn't immediately go away, but it gets drowned out by the more heroic instruments. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's perfect. <laughs> and I would agree. I, I think that there are, there are definitely plot holes in this movie. But, you know, when I look at, when I compare this movie to The Dark Knight Rises, which is the next movie in the trilogy, and also has a lot of plot holes, the Dark Knight Rises just isn't good enough to make me not realize. It's not, it doesn't hold enough of my attention that other parts of my mind can't be asking, now, wait a minute, how does that make even a lick of sense? Yeah. And I think that the same is, is sort of true of Batman Begins. You know, this, this movie is really not like either of the other movies in the trilogy because both of those movies the the villain's plans are well both of those movies are significantly more comic booky you know yeah the villain's plans are significantly more grandiose and bombastic and convoluted and so is the solution that they come up with whereas this movie is much more tight and focused and despite the heaviness and the size of the philosophical themes that it's dealing with the actual action is significantly more small scale yeah i mean the climate the true climax of the movie is just three 
is just three guys having a debate. I mean, the, the final moment of the movie is just Two-Face, Gordon, and Batman both kind of all kind of grappling with these questions that Joker has raised. The movie is significantly more built on this ideological battle in a way that Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises are not. I mean, those are just built on ridiculous comic book doom and gloom plans. Joker doesn't have a plan. And it's so. (laughs) He does. Which is some BS. Do I look yeah. like yeah, you've been making plans the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and it does go back to this movie and how well it captures that dynamic between Batman and Joker that's been at the core of their best stories throughout the years. Joker has never really been a physical threat to Batman in the same way that Ra's al Ghul or Bane were. The real meat of their conflict has always been ideological. Yeah, all right. The last thing I would say, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is I see more than a few negative reviews of the film kind of calling it out for the film being, I guess, pro-authoritarianism, that they seem to think that because they show Batman as the hero and because he does these things in service to right? Like you talked about the virtues that he's trying to adhere to. And because of the position that puts him in, he does these things that are maybe wrong, right? He gets the sonar thing. He lets people die in service to, he lets Harvey be the bait. He, he does these things in service to, I'm not going to kill Joker. And I think there's a decent argument to be made that he's maybe wrong for doing those. But I think Assuming that the Batman, that the movie is okay with what he's doing is, right, misunderst- is sh- selling Nolan and the other writers a bit short. That I don't think they're saying everything Batman does is peachy keen. I mean, he, the thing he does in Japan, that is wildly illegal. And I mean, he gets the villain, but I think there's a decent argument to be made that that is wrong of him to do, that that was a whack thing to do. And so I think the movie raises even more questions in that sense. As soon as you let yourself be critical of what Batman's doing, as soon as you stop thinking everything the hero does is peachy keen, and then you can say, okay, do we think vigilantism in general is okay? Do we think Batman doing these things wildly outside the purview of the law or the purview of a general citizen, is that okay? And I think it just adds to the philosophical and ideological themes of the film. And it makes it that much better, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree completely. And the only thing I'll add, (coughs) excuse me, the only thing I'll add is that I think that it also adds to just the, uh, what in literature is called the formal elements, the formal elements being like what the story is and how it's constructed. Because it adds to the doubt uh, that Batman, Batman's character arc is focused on, the doubt of whether or not he's right, whether or not Joker is right, that what he's doing is even worthwhile. And I think that that, again, speaks to just how well written this movie's characters are. A villain doesn't have to... There's a lot of ways to make a great villain. It doesn't have to, they don't have to make the hero question themselves or what they're doing or the the rightness of their actions. But I do think that 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 is one way to do it. And this movie does it really well. You know, one of the things that (laughs) I'm going to make sure that everyone possible in the world dislikes me as much as possible uh, because... (laughs) One of the things that kept me from liking Thanos as a villain in the Avengers movies as much as everyone else did is that, yeah, he ostensibly has understandable motivations, but the movie seems to want to portray him as like a tragic anti-hero. But the thing that's missing from that equation is doubt. There's never any doubt in any of the hero's minds that he is anything other than completely 100% wrong. 
outcome. There's never a moment where they question themselves or their actions, or they ask if Thanos may be right. And so the ideological the ideological conflict just isn't there. It's less of a of an argument in the way that Batman and Joker have, and more of just like like two encyclopedia entries yeah. that exist completely independently of each other, that this is Thanos' position, this is the hero's position, the two never really interact or come into conflict with each other. The conflict is exclusively physical. Yeah. Well, and I think in a lot of ways, I I wouldn't say that there's a ton of like Batman questioning his ideology. I think he's fairly strong on it. But I think the character of Harvey Dent almost plays that part. That like you said, his arc is the negative mirror image of Batman's that where Batman is tested on his convictions and stays true to them. Harvey is tested on his convictions and he folds right with, I mean, I think he has decent reasons to do that. He loses Rachel and he really gets put through the ringer, but I think he represents sort of that conflict that you're talking about, that he's the one who is shaky and listens to the Joker and eventually falls because of the Joker. And I just want to shout out, I think Aaron Eckhart does a fantastic job here. I'm a big fan of him and Heath Ledger gets the bulk of the praise, but I'm a big fan of both Eckhart and Christian Bale in this movie. I think they both do a really fantastic job and they're just up against one of the greatest performances in movie history. So it's hard to no one's coming out of the movie going like Aaron Eckhart, let's go, Oscar campaign, here, here we come. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously I agree with what you're saying about Harvey because that's that's basically what I said, that that's what his arc is. I do think that Batman does have questions. He has doubts, like in the interrogation scene, which is like that one of the best scenes of all time. He's you know, he's losing control and he even talks about thinking about breaking his one rule. And then in the aftermath, in that scene with Alfred, when he's literally saying, like, what am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to fight this person without breaking this rule that I've made for myself? So, yeah, I think we're sort of we're sort of winding it down here a little bit. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more stuff that I could talk about uh, just for quick shout outs. Yes. There's not a bad performance in the bunch. Uh, I really appreciate a lot of the practical effects in this movie, like the tumbler or the bat cycle or the semi truck flipping over. That is so cool. And so well done. Uh, there's a lot of little things that I think contribute to uh, Heath Ledger's performance as Joker. One of my favorite moments of his honestly, is when he's about to destroy the SWAT truck that Harvey's in when he thinks that Harvey is Batman and the real Batman saves him by driving, by, you know, stopping the missile and then driving down the road. And Joker looks after him and just says, hmm. <laughs> and I love the simplicity of that reaction. Like, he's not really surprised. He's just like, oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I guess I, for my quick shout outs, uh, one, I think this movie is another example of how fantastic Nolan is of building tension via multiple plot threads that just, and it's a testament to his editing team as well as just his own abilities because so many sequences like the final sequence on the barges, like you said, the, pris the prison break scene where it's <laughs> right, the guy with the, the cell phone in his chest and then the police going after Rachel and Batman going after Harvey, that it's another example of just how fantastic Nolan and his editing team are at building up tension and excitement via multiple plot threads and culminating in really fantastic moments. And then finally, the script is fantastic. There's so many just amazing lines. I mean, why so serious is one of the most iconic lines you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain is another great line. Honestly, the whole conversation that Bruce and Harvey have at the dinner table when they're talking about Caesar and all that, that is fantastic. The interrogation scene is fantastic. Every scene of the movie might be fantastic. 
<laughs> but yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan. I think yeah, let's get to ratings. Yeah. What one last quick thing, just because you made me think about it. This is definitely one of my most quoted movies. I quote this movie all the time. Uh, I think the line that I say the most, it's really stupid, but <laughs> right before he flips the semi-truck over, the slaughter truck, that's another joke that I think is pretty good. <laughs> slaughter is the best medicine. Uh, when Batman, he fires the grappling hooks into the truck's grill and then he drives under it and Joker was obviously thinking that he was going to hit him and he just looks around and he says, he missed! I say that all the time. You do say just that when, a lot. When people miss things, I, I just say, he missed. I love that line. You don't sit, you don't walk around saying, you want to know how I got these scars? I don't. I don't even have any scars. Well, I guess I got one. But, you know, it's not very prominent. Right. Um, yeah, so we want to do ratings. I can go first. I can give my rating. Sure. Um, it. It's like a... 9.4, 9.5. I mean, I, I think genuinely the only issues I have with the movie are just given time. I do, you know, notice like in any movie this well constructed and this well put together. I mean, any tiny flaw or a scene where I'm like, eh, I don't know if that really needed to be there. It doesn't come immediately to mind, but I don't think it's like a perfect movie, but this is really dang close to perfection and for a lot of the reasons that we've enumerated over the course of the episode. So. Yeah, so this is one of my top five favorite movies of all time. Uh, it doesn't really have a ranking in that number. I don't really rank them according to quality, except for the top spot, which is No Country for Old Men. Aside from that, everything else is pretty much on an equal level. So yeah, because of everything we've said, I'm going to give it an A+. And again, that's not because I think that it's perfect or that it does everything it tries to do without any kind of flaw. My rating is just, it's, it's really just how much I like it. And because this is one of my favorite movies, you know, I like it as much as I like, almost as much as I like any other movie. So for me, it's an A+. I do think maybe part of the reason why I don't give it the perfect score is I do think Nolan has a perfect movie. And since this isn't it, sometimes I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this is good, but you know, what's better. This other Nolan movie that I won't reveal. Well, yeah, cause it's inception. It is inception. Okay. You guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's do, uh, let's do recommendations. I can go first. Wait, um, I'm going to go first because I'm worried that you might have chosen the one that I chose. <laughs> All right, you go first. Okay, so my recommendation is Logan. Okay, that's not what I chose. Okay, well, well, all right, whatever. Uh, the reason I choose that is because, like The Dark Knight, uh, I think it's more mature than most comic book movies out there. Like, like The Dark Knight. So if, if you're like me and you've sort of fallen off of comic book movies or you never really got into them, in the first place i think that both of these movies one of my favorite things about them is that they are not very comic booky. they're not really like any other comic book movie that uh you're gonna see logan is very hard-hitting in terms of its action uh and its performances and its characters it is it is definitely mature but it's it's just lacking those uh sort of garish, over-exaggerated elements that really is at the heart of why I don't watch comic book movies anymore. Yeah. I thought I thought about... Rec Logan is fantastic. I thought about recommending Logan. I decided to go in a different way. My reason was this. I listened to a podcast with Roger Deakins, who's a very famous cinematographer. He has a podcast with his wife where he talks to directors and actors that they've worked with. He had one with Sam Mendes, who's a director who most recently did in 1917. And Sam Mendes talked about how much he appreciated The Dark Knight for not just being a fantastic popcorn flick, but also being a really fantastic examination of all the ideas we've talked about. And that he was really inspired by that to then when he was offered to direct a Bond movie 
he was very inspired by this idea of I can make a popcorn movie that still has some of these ideas in it. So my recommendation is Skyfall, which is the Bond movie that Sam Mendes did. It's fantastic. I have only watched the Daniel Craig Bond movies. I've never been a huge Bond guy. It took me a while to even watch those after they came out. But I'm a huge fan of this movie. I think the cinematography is amazing. It's Roger Deakins. Javier Bardem plays the villain, and he's really amazing in it. And just like in this movie, he represents very much a ideological more than a physical threat to Bond, that he's a threat to what Bond believes in, what Bond represents in terms of the British government and British ideals. And it's a really fantastic movie. I would recommend it to anyone who watches this and wants another really flawlessly constructed action popcorn flick that has some of these bigger ideas and themes in it. Right. Very interesting. What are some, what are some of the all time great movie villains? There's Joker, I think from Dark Knight, Hannibal Lecter, Antoine Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. I really like uh, the Xenomorph and the Thing from The Thing, the Xenomorph from Alien, Thing from The Thing, in terms of movie monsters. But yeah, what are what are some of yours? Some of my favorite movie villains? Yeah. Well, Darth Vader is an all-time oh, duh. classic villain for me. I don't know. You might have just mentioned or stolen almost all of mine. <laughs> Why are you asking <laughs> this our final? I was just asking. Final section. No, I think Joker. I don't really think any other supervillain comes close. I wish if we got a really good Superman adaptation, I think Lex, I think a good Lex Luthor could be as good as a good Joker, but I think everyone goes too comic booky with it. Like, I think they really miss the stuff that I find really amazing and interesting about Lex Luthor. So that's my dream is someone to make a good. Superman movie with a really good Lex Luthor. Get Vin Diesel in the role. I think it could be amazing. Oh my goodness. He's bald. I really like Saruman from Lord of the Rings. Although I will say that probably at least 60% of that is just because Christopher Lee is so, so cool. This is true. This is true. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty much all we have for you. If you, think of any villains we didn't mention feel free to text elliot on his personal phone number that you all have that's uh in the description to this video yeah okay or you could not do that and i'll really i'll really appreciate you i will individually thank each and every one of you in my prayers who do not text me it may take a while but uh, i'll get to you we'll get to it all right perfect yep life is hard and full of disappointments